for us. There I'm looking forward to it, too. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I was just thinking as I was coming up here, um, it's a quite an easy transition from this seat to here in this church because often when you're speaking at churches, there's a stage and it's very intimidating to get up from the seat and have to walk those steps to get on the platform. So thank you, Greenbelt, for just making such a smooth transition. I basically just had to stand up, and I was here already. So that's great. Um, yeah, I felt like I should just embellish a bit more about myself because I've got uh, 45 minutes to fill, and it is my favorite subject. So I'm going to talk a little bit more about myself. So my wife and I, we've been living in Ottawa for approximately eight years now. Uh, since coming to Ottawa, I've been working with high-risk youth uh, in child protection services through a foster care agency. I am currently on 1,427-day streak learning my French on Duolingo. Okay. <laughs> no, it won't be in French, but... I appreciate the applause. I had that actually in my notes here. Wait for applause. <laughs> Five of the last years we've been attending Greenbelt, and I have been privileged to serve with our youth ministry here. And if you are desperate to know what the trends are, get to know what the latest technology or gadgets or apps are, if you want to just feel grateful that you don't have to be living your high school awkward years, come serve in the youth ministry. <laughs> In all honesty, you're missing a real joy watching these students make powerful faith decisions in their lives. My wife and I, we currently have two kids. The story of how we uh, had kids is pretty much the classic story of any young couple. My wife and I were out to a romantic dinner one evening, and she looked up across the table at me with like just such deep affection, and she said, Honey, I think I'm having too much sleep through the night. <laughs> and I looked back at her and I said, I think we're not finding enough Cheerios on the floor. <laughs> and between those two comments and wanting to have forever our clothes stained with unidentifiable things for the rest of our lives, we knew we were ready to have children. <laughs> Uh, and it was quite interesting. Our children, we had one with a month just before we went into lockdown, and our second one came probably a month just before we came out of lockdown. So we had a great COVID experience of learning how to be parents, um, but I'm grateful for my family. This morning, as Kevin said, we are continuing in the Abide series that started back in September, where Jesus says in John 15:4. Abide in me. And I have the blessing of sharing on one of the ways we abide in Christ. Obedience. Obedience. Well, you might think, well, that's a waste of time. Isn't it just following orders and instructions? Essentially obeying the rules? Compliance, conformance, acquiescence. That last one was for the book readers. But it's a lot more than just that. And as we will see, it goes deeper than following just a set of rules. I think also it's a concept that we greatly wrestle with in our personal journeys, but as well as explaining it to others what it's like to be a Christian. Most people will tell you it's just about obeying everything in the Bible. Well, that's a little unfair, would you not say? 
The church and Christians already have this label of having to follow a bunch of strict rules, the do's and the don'ts, and being accepted into the club, the thou shalt's or the do ye ist the spit just went out into the front row there. It's not a comfortable subject to explain or defend if you are a Christian. Why is that? Is it because the Old Testament comes across as a bunch of outdated laws? We can thank Leviticus for giving us something impossible to explain. Or is it because people are used to Christians telling others how they should live, placing Bible or Christian rules on others? And since this was all overkilled in the past, now that we are more sensitive Christians, we need to repaint the picture of God from being a God of a bunch of rules to one that's friendlier. A God who is completely forgiving and understandable and anything bad or restrictive you hear about is not really the God for today. I mean, isn't it hard to talk about following a God with rules in today's climate? And definitely don't use the word commands because otherwise people will think we're following a tyrant. Because if we don't have that response, if we don't paint a glossy picture of God in the Bible, we know what kind of backlash to expect. I don't know how anyone could follow a God who doesn't accept this. Or how can anyone obey a God that tells them to do, and you just fill in the blank. We know what kind of consequences socially there is for speaking to the issues of our day. Obedience, following rules. You leave that aspect of Christianity in the back of your closet, don't you? But when looking at the Bible, obedience is an unavoidable subject. And the obedience can't be translated in any other way. It can't be separated or removed from our Christian walk. The Bible does speak to us about following him, being obedient. This series, Abide in Me. And this morning, we're going to look at a statement Jesus made that I believe holds so much power in revealing to us what obedience truly is. It's a small passage. We're looking at four verses, yet in it contains so much depth and meaning. And my hope is that after this morning, you will come to understand three things from looking at this passage with me. What truly is obedience? A real meaning of obedience the importance of it, why we need to be obedient, and how do we do it? How do we become obedient? What is obedience, the importance of it, and how to become obedient? Classic three-point sermon. So, if you have your Bibles, or if you can look at the screen, we are going to John 15. This is the same passage that we started our series in. Uh, and we're going down to verse 10. And for just a little context, remember, this is when Jesus was with his disciples during their last meal. They were celebrating Passover. And right after this, we know what happens. Jesus is led to the garden. He is betrayed, crucified, and dies on the cross. And this is the words, like his parting words that he gives to his disciples. As we read here, verse 10. When you obey my commandments, there's our word, obey, you remain in my love, just as I obey my father's commandments and remain in his love. 
I have told you these things so that you would be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. What truly is obedience? Jesus says, when you obey my commandments, as I've shared, I have two young kids and my wife and I are at the beginning stages of really needing our kids to listen to us, take our instructions. We give directions and make rules and we expect our kids to follow. And like most of us, and for young people living with your parents right now, we know that parents do this just because they want to make our lives miserable. (laughs) They want to suck all the happiness out of our life by putting these rules in place. But now, now that I'm on the converse side or the flip side, when you become a parent, or maybe you're not a parent, but you're wired like one, you come to understand that most of what your parents were trying to do, what, why they were, wanted you to obey them was to guide and direct you to a better quality of life, help you avoid the dangers of the world, prepare you for disappointments, instill qualities to help you navigate life with. Thank you, mom and dad. Example, when I'm telling my son not to ride his bike out onto the road, it's not because I don't want him to one day maybe become the next Tour de France winner. It's because I know that at any moment there could be a car coming around the corner. When I'm telling my children that the TV shows that they are watching is inappropriate, it's not because I would rather them just be nose in a book all day or that I don't support the local arts. It's because I understand there might be some images that might create some fear or teach principles that aren't wholesome. When I'm telling my daughter not to bite her brother in the back, (laughs) it's not because I'm worried she'll turn into a cannibal or she'll be the one few people that actually look forward to being infected during a zombie apocalypse and putting her biting to good use. I told you I work with youth, right? But because she shouldn't believe she can handle her frustrations with violence, and she's not aware of what consequences could come from how others might respond to her if she's using her razor-sharp teeth and jaws of life to handle her problems. I can't imagine I would receive a good response if I tried that with the people I was frustrated with at work. I want my children to obey me because I want something better in store for them. Even if it comes across to them as me withholding something they think is good or beneficial. They might not see the benefit for themselves, but I do as the father. And maybe I won't be perfect or always get it right, but I'm doing what I think is best for them. And these decisions or rules are 100% completely fueled by my love for them wanting to protect them, grow them into being better people than I ever was. And through that, I want them to place their faith in me, not because of what the rules are, but because they know what I do. These rules or commands I put in place is because I, I love them more than anyone else in this world. Will their heart be in the rules that I'm giving? Maybe not. But I don't want their heart to be in the rules because of the rules. I want their heart to be in me because I'm the father that wants to pour my love into them. 
The rules, they don't love my children. It's me, the father, that does. And why I have these rules. Do we understand that order? My love for my children defines the rules, not the rules determining my love. Okay, that was the easy part. Usually no one would disagree with parents having rules like that. You see my children and everybody unanimously would be on the same page that this is completely acceptable and what, is good, what good parents would do for their children. But what happens when our children get older? Some of you here are dealing with teenagers, adult children. Rules work when your kids. Rules work when kids will listen. But what is, the, what is it that changes from being children to being adults? What happened when you got older? When did you decide to throw away the rules? The high schoolers I'm working in my youth group, I always remind them that these are like the final years that you are under your houses, you're under your parents' home, under your parents' authority, under your parents' rules, and eventually you are going to be making those rules for yourself. You are going to be carving your own path and deciding what you are going to submit yourself to, place an authority over you, decide what's right and wrong. Yes, you will listen to your parents when you return home and you come back under their roof. I mean, that's how we get our turkey dinners and our laundry done. <laughs> but that's why most teenagers or young adults typically aren't excited about moving back with mom and dad. They prefer their own rules, and anyone would. So eventually, the parents' rules become obsolete. The children become the adults. Even though the parents' rules may originate out of love for the children, like mine for my son riding his bike, and when they do become obsolete, and when they, when, who, who do they have left to give direction when these rules become obsolete? Who is putting the guardrails up to show us how to protect ourselves, how to, breathe, how to behave, how to live? If it was necessary then when we were children, why is it not necessary now? When we're adults. Well, that's because I'm an adult now. I don't pee in the pool anymore. <laughs> I know what's right and wrong. I know how to protect myself. I know what I have to do to become a better version of myself. You've placed yourself under your own authority. You give your own instructions. No one should tell you how to live because you came to, t to maturity in your life that you are now capable of handling and steering your life from here. And for those who still can't, well, that's what the military is for. <laughs> Maybe we don't follow rules like what our parents used to give us, but our society still gives us laws to follow and legislation that leads us to a proper, healthy way of living that should affect our behavior. And we will keep ourselves safe from troubles if we just keep to those rules. But there's no love behind those rules, like the rules I put in place for my children. These rules and commands don't address our hearts. They really don't address our minds. They can't tell us who we should marry. They don't tell us where we can find emotional healing. They don't show us what our purpose is. So where does the instruction we had from our parents go? Those instructions that were birthed out of love for their children, wanting to offer only what's best. Who are you obedient to today?
Was it something only for a season in our life when it was necessary? Do we need anyone to submit ourselves to, or are we, are we capable enough on our own? Ask yourself this. Whose rules are you following? Who are you letting instruct and lead your life? I believe for most of us, we have given that authority to ourselves. Like I said, we can't trust anyone else with that responsibility because no one loves us better than ourselves. Our submission that was once to loving parents is now assumed by us being the ones in control. And if we ever do follow someone else's rules or directions that didn't come from ourselves, we only tolerate for self-interest. Let me explain. Usually, if there are rules we are following or being obedient to, we are more like bargainers than willing to place ourselves under someone else's authority. We just agree with the outcomes. If we are to make ourselves vulnerable, there has to be something we get out of it. The cost of me submitting means I'll need a return or something to benefit. Take the example I used earlier, my son riding his bike. You're 45 now. I tell you, don't go ride your bike on the road without looking. You go, duh, Dan, yeah, that's stupid. I know, because I, they know that they're aware that there could be a car coming around the corner. And for that reason, they're not going to take the risk. They're, they're going to put their personal safety first. You benefit, you understand the consequence, and so you go with it. You don't want to be hit by the car. There's something to gain. And we follow most rules in our lives the same way. I don't want a ticket. I don't want to go to jail. I don't want to get fired. I don't want to hurt somebody. It becomes an agreement we make with ourselves. Not about obedience for the sake of who is telling you. It's not a submission to someone else, but it's compliance to receive some benefit or some gain. Remember, we can only trust ourselves for knowing what is best for us. So instead of us submitting, we'll be compliant. So the only one we become obedient to is, in the end, still ourselves. And often we live our Christian lives like that. We see the way we ought to live. The Bible tells us don't lie, don't steal, be above reproach, don't covet, don't lust. Because we know if we don't, we will either A, hurt someone, or B, hurt ourselves. And for those reasons, we agree to follow what the Bible teaches. We become those bargainers. But if you really look at it, if you really understand this, we, we're just agreeing with the rules in the end. We're not being about submissiveness. We're agreeing. Because in the end, there's some personal gain, some advantage that we have for ourselves. There's a story. It's not in your Bible. This is a made-up story just to help me hit a point home. So I'm going to tell it, but don't try and look for it in your Bible afterwards. It's a story about Jesus with his disciples, and they're walking along a riverbank. And Jesus says to his disciples, I want you to carry a stone for me. So disciples, they go down to the riverbed, they pick up stone, they put it in their pockets or whatever they had back then. They just carried it with them, and they went off and followed Jesus. And they walked 
for kilometers and kilometers, and it was getting to be about noon. And Jesus said, okay, you know, let's take a break. Let's sit down. Take out your, your stones that I asked you to carry. Each of the disciples, they pull out their stone. And what Jesus does is that he turns the stones into bread so that they could eat something for lunch. And they gobble away, and it was great. It's delicious. They sang a hymn. On they went. Jesus, after the meal, after they, their bread, he said again to his disciples, okay, I want you to carry a stone for me. So the disciples went back down, picked up another stone. But Peter, and we all know Peter, he found himself the biggest stone that he could possibly carry because he knew what was coming in the end. And so he picked up that big stone, and with the disciples, they went, they went on their walk, still hours and kilometers, and Peter is just breaking his back, carrying this stone, but he knows that in the end there's going to be some reward. He knows that there's going to be something at the end of all of this struggle that he was putting himself through. And they carry it, and as Peter was just about like at his, at his last length, Jesus says, okay, we're going to stop. I want you to take your stones out again. And Peter's like, here it comes. Yes. And Jesus says, I want you to throw those stones into the water. What would you do if you were Peter in that instance? (laughs) Are you obedient because God is asking you to? Or are you in compliance because you gained something out of this deal? There's another type of obedience related to that. The type where people can be obedient because of fear. We worry what will happen if we don't follow the rules. Worry that God won't bless us if we don't follow what the Bible teaches. Do we try to be God-pleasing because we believe a wrath comes if we don't? When if we're obedient, God, if, where if we aren't obedient, God will be disappointed with us and turn away from us. In reality, it is still being obedient for your own reward, personal gain. You're trying to be on God's good side. And lastly, while on the meeting of obedience, what do you do when God is leading you in a direction that you don't know the outcomes? You don't know if there's a reward or gain to your obedience. Do you become the child who thinks their parents' instructions was holding back something good for them and you disobey? Adam and Eve are perfect examples of that in the garden and why they ate of the fruit that God told them not to. Or are you obedient for your own reward, like Peter carrying the stone? Can you trust him like my son does with not riding his bike on the road? At the beginning, he didn't know that there was a car that might be coming around the corner. But he still obeyed me because he trusted me and he wanted to please me. If your motivation is to be obedient for any other reason than because you want to please him, you're not being obedient. Your gain is for yourself and not because that is your response in being in love with him. Do you recognize the difference? One is an obedience to get something from God. And the other is an obedience to give something to God. The giving of yourself, submitting to, giving up your authority to his. What kind of obedience do you have? Okay, the importance of obedience. Okay, 
we we sort of broke it down to the bones of what obedience looks like. Now, why? Why why should we be obedient? Reflect on your own life. Okay, look look at the lives around you. This goes for believers and unbelievers. How is it working leaving yourself in charge? I'm doing well. I'm getting by. And that's usually when it's good. But often if people are honest, and I've had conversations with friends who have been honest with me, and if everything on the outside lines up with whatever the world is telling us that we have to follow, what we have to go after to find fulfillment, to find satisfaction, to get experience, they usually always come up feeling empty still in the end. They check all the boxes of what the world is seeking, but inside they say that they just feel like they're spinning their wheels. Inside they feel tired. Inside they feel lonely. And that's always what you'll find when you're chasing what the world's offering. Jesus says, I'm the only one that won't leave you empty. I'm the only one that will satisfy your real hunger. I'm the only one that will quench your thirst. Jesus says, when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Isn't that some place where you'd much rather be? Hold up, Dan. What you're saying is, if I don't obey him, I won't receive his love? First, we need to understand what kind of love we're talking about. Is this a love where God is going to give you all that you want, answer your dreams, make sure that you don't stumble, swoop in at the last moment to bail you out of your problems, make everything perfect the way that you see it? Let me ask you this way. Do I stop loving my child when I tell them they can't have any more ice cream? My son would say yes. I would say no. Okay, that's an easy one. Do I stop loving my child because I won't pay for their full tuition? Do I stop loving my child because I say their girlfriend is not right for them? Do I stop loving my child when I disagree with one of their life choices? Of course not. The love is never withheld. The child might interpret it as such, but the love is always there and it's never changed. What am I really doing? Because I love them so much, I'm making decisions that will hopefully lead them to something better, something more satisfying, something more fulfilling. Would they experience something better, satisfying and fulfilling if they would just listen? If I was a perfect father? Absolutely. But even if I was, if every decision I made, how perfect it was of offering the utmost best for my child, It's up to my child to decide if they're going to listen. The love is available to them. They can experience it. They can remain in it. But that is only determined on whether they will receive it. This love is conditional. Jesus said at the start of verse 10, when or if you obey my commandments, there's an action on your part to remain in his love. The life of the Israelites all throughout the Old Testament, 
God always wanted to impart to them something good, something more fulfilling. God gave them laws so that they could do just that, while at the same time helping them understand his holiness, his perfectness. He offered the promised land, fellowship with him, but the Israelites wanted to carve their own path. And like a lot of times what we do today, they turned their back on what God was offering, made their own rules, became their own authority. Did that change God's love for them? No. Did they miss out on what being in his love looks like? Yeah. God was holding it out desperately, wanting them to choose his way. But the Israelites, time and time again, didn't accept it. They, did, they wanted to do it their way. And because they did, they were unable to receive his goodness. I recently had my car break down on me just a couple of weeks ago. I was coming home from work after an emotionally just charged day. I was exhausted and really looking forward to coming home and relaxing with my family. And my, start, my car stopped working. And thankfully, it was only just the roughest part of town. So I didn't have to worry about my car being stolen, just my kidneys. <laughs> but in this moment of when I typically would be screaming out in frustration and annoyance, simultaneously being a little nervous for my safety, I felt this thankfulness come over me. I was thankful for having a family to come home to. I was thankful that the weather was not aggravating my situation more. I was even thankful for my car, the very source of my problem. I was thankful for it because God had made me realize what gifts these all were in my life. I felt blessed in a cruddy situation. I was experienced joy in a joyless situation. I was experiencing his love, knowing that whatever happened from then on, God had it. I was trusting him and grateful for what he had given me, despite not knowing if I was going to be going home with one less kidney or not. I was experiencing his love like a child wrapped in his father's arms. Disappointment was gone. Worry was gone. Fear was gone. That's what it's like to remain in the Father's love. Two years ago, and I was just reading about this, a man named George Chen passed away. You probably don't know him. He was a pastor in China, and he planted three churches before he was captured and sentenced to imprisonment as a counter-revolutionary. He served three and a half years being crammed into this tiny, tiny cell. He described it where it, was, it wasn't even big enough for him to lie down. He had to like tilt his body. He was treated like an animal. His wife died, and his sons were killed by the communist authorities while he was there, but they didn't tell him. He was then moved to a labor camp where he worked the worst job of shoveling human excrement for 60,000 prisoners to be used as fertilizer. He did that for 14 years. And while in that cesspool, day after day after day of waiting around in human excrements, human waste, when he should have cried out in so much anger and frustration, he sang. He sang a hymn titled, In the Garden. If you grew up, 
singing songs on the screen. You might not know this song. But this is the chorus. Remember his situation and how long he's been in it. This is what the refrain says. And he walks with me. And he talks with me. And he tells me that I'm his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. You want to feel that power that holds you all together when everything else is falling apart? You want to feel that joy even when your life has nothing to be joyful for? I have told you these things so that you would be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. When you obey me, you remain in my love so that you would be filled with joy. I apologize here. This kind of unconditional love is conditional on whether you decide to take it or leave it. There's one love that can only come as far as you're willing to let it, and another when you're stepping in to receive it. Being loved is not the same as being in his love. Abide in me. God's unfailing love is at a door, but it takes you to open it. Remain. Remain in his love. So finally, how do we do it? How do we make, se- how do we make ourselves obedient and keep his commandments so that we can remain in his love? Well, verse 12 and 13 answer that for us. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Oh, great. Another message about how I just need to love others. Yes, but there's more. Jesus says, love each other in the same way I have loved you. As much as people think the Bible is a book of instruction and rules that we have to obey, this is a testament of the way God has loved us. We have all of the Bible laying out how we are to love others, instructions on how that is done practically, and incredible examples of it being demonstrated. God, from page one to the last page, provides proves just that, his love for us. And where you need to really start looking is when Jesus was in the garden, knowing that in a couple of hours that he was going to be betrayed, handed over to walk through the most horrifying path of being rejected by the very people that he came to love, to be crucified, to carry the sins of all of them and all of us that thought at some point our authority was better than his, staring directly in the face the sacrifice that he was going to make on your and my behalf, the Bible says, Jesus, being in agony, prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. He was in agony. And we know today that the sweating of the blood is possible with humans under extreme physical and emotional distress. 
He was so overcome with emotional burden that blood was basically pouring out from his body. And what was he praying? Jesus speaking to God, saying, If you are willing, God, let this cup pass from me. He was saying, I'm begging you with all your power that I've done to go through. Like with all of your power, you can stop this. He was in the darkest of dark moments, more than anything you and I will ever be in, no matter how bad we think it is. But he didn't stop there. After begging God to let this cup pass from him, he said, however, not my will, but yours be done. However much agony is in me, not wanting to be in this moment, I will still do what you desire. I will still submit to your authority. Philippians, Paul says in chapter 2, that Jesus became obedient to death, even death on a cross. He did that for you and for me. For For us not being obedient to him, he was obedient for us. How did he do it? Was it because of the rules or for the sake of the rules? Was Jesus agreeing with them because he was going to get something out of it, some reward, a better seat in heaven? I don't know. Was he worried what God would do to him if he didn't listen? No. He did it because when he was calling out to God, he didn't say Lord. He didn't say Master. He didn't say creator. He didn't say alpha and omega. He didn't use any of these powerful names that we can attribute to God. He says, Father, Father, the most intimate relationship of any relationship, coming as a child to a parent, Father. Jesus was obedient to his Father. It wasn't for the sake of obedience, it was who he was obedient to. Two. And if you're thinking, well, then I can just love Jesus for his sacrifice for me. Jesus did all the work. Who do you think was making the greater sacrifice? It was the father that sent his son, the perfect father that loved more than any parent could ever love their son or daughter. He gave his son so that you too could become his child. So that you too could remain in his fatherly love. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life. And because that was done, you don't have to be obedient to earn your salvation. Jesus already did that for you. Every other religion teaches that you have to be obedient to their laws and standards and morals to earn your place in the life after. Muslims, Catholics, Buddhists, Hinduism, All need to make sure the scales of your goodness are in your favor to ensure your salvation or enlightenment or better afterlife. You need to do all of that. Our tendency as humans is that we need to perform or meet a certain mark if we are to receive our reward. That there are no handouts, especially when it comes to the life after. It's why we need to be obedient. It's why we need to earn right standing with higher powers. Christianity is the only faith that teaches you don't need to obey the commands, even though there's Christian leaders and and bad teachers and Pharisees. You don't need to obey the commands to be in good standing with God to earn your relationship with Jesus. 
Christianity says, because Jesus was obedient for you to the cross, you will receive his love. All you have to do is let him in. And once you do, it's not about being obedient for the sake of the rules or commands. It's a being obedient because of who he is. It's because you can't help but love him back through the ways he has loved you. And you can't help but love others because you see how he's loved them too. Having trouble being obedient to God? Become the child again. And not just to anyone, but to your heavenly father who has given everything for you. Laying down his life for yours. He can only stretch his arms open and wait for you to come. The love and security of being wrapped in his arms only comes from us stepping into that embrace. Do you want to not only be loved, but remain in his love? Then obey his commands in the way that Jesus became obedient to his father. Let's pray. God, if we are still wrestling to make that decision for ourselves, and this is the first time that we need to cross that threshold of coming into your embrace, embrace so that we can remain in your love. God, I just pray that you would continue to work in their heart, that they would seek out someone that they can share this journey with, Lord, and that they would not leave until they find your truth, your answers. And if we are someone who's made that decision, we've stepped into that love, but then at some point along the line, we've turned our back. We've decided to make our own pathway or make our own rules, made ourselves the authority again. God, would you remind us again of what you did for us, what Jesus gave so that we could become his child? And may that just move us so much to coming back and allowing you to be authority of our lives. Help us to be obedient. Help us to know what you are calling and leading us to. And that through it all, it's not for our own gain. It's not some reward that we get in the end or fear of what might happen if we don't listen, but because only of who you are. We ask this in your name.